Welcome to Table Talk. Table Talk is a guided and moderated group Bible study held around an actual table at Ballymcashan Church in Calinche, County Down. We bring our Bibles, we open them, and we search the Scriptures. On Tuesday the 16th of November 2021, I asked a strange question. It was a question that had been left hanging in the air at the end of our previous discussion. I asked, when good people die, do they become angels? It's a strange question. But in this day and age, it's an important one for Christians to answer. Because in this new age in which we live, an age that's obsessed with spirituality, an age that has absolutely no biblical roots at all, there seems to be an unhealthy interest among some people in angels. There are people who believe that when a person dies, they become an angel. And you'll hear them expressing sentiments like, Fly high, now that you've got your wings. Of course, as Christians, we know that simply is not true. People do not become angels. Angels are not anything like us. For example, angels were created long before we were. In Job 38, verse 4-7, we read these words, addressed to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now the sons of God there seems to indicate created beings before the creation of mankind. They are spiritual beings, and we are created to be under the angels. We often sing Psalm 8, and in verse 4 to 5 we read these words, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honour. No, we don't become angels when we die. In fact, when we die, we go to stand before our Creator in judgment, and we shall be judged under the law. And because we're all guilty under the law, and because every one of us deserves eternal punishment, no matter how good we have been in comparison with other people, the only way that we can escape that punishment is to have someone else take the punishment we deserve. And only one person was able ever to do that. And that was our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, who bore all of our hell, our punishment, on the cross. For those who are trusting him, all our sins are cancelled. They are blotted out in his precious blood. And we are only in this way and no other made acceptable to God and brought forever into his eternal kingdom. We don't become angels when we die. So what then are angels, and what do they do?
The word angel itself simply means announcer. In Revelation 2 and 3, we read the messages from Christ to the seven churches in Asia, as revealed to the Apostle John, while he was on the Isle of Patmos. Every one of those messages is addressed to the angel of the church at, for example, Ephesus. Revelation 2 and 1, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, saith he, that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. The word for angel there is the word angelos, an announcer. Just like the word gospel is euangelion, an announcement. Many commentators will assume that the person being referred to as the angel of the church in Revelation 2 and 3 is simply the preacher, pastor, the minister. But that's not, of course, the primary understanding of the word. There are actual spiritual beings called angels. The announcers, the messengers of God. Hebrews 1 verse 13 to 14 says, But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So they are spirits, who will minister to saints of God with the purpose that they will be kept in this life until they inherit salvation. I want you to look at some examples of how they do that. Angels, for example, are guardians of the weak. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10, the Lord Jesus said, Take heed that you do not despise any of these little ones, For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus speaks of a special form of protection for little children. And probably when we speak of little people here, we're not just talking about children alone, but all of those who are weak and all of those who are so often and so easily despised in society. It's a sin for Christians to despise the weakest. For God values them so highly that they have their own squads of angels. Angels who are constantly reporting their findings here on earth before the throne of God. That's not to say, of course, that God doesn't already know, for he is omniscient. Angels who are constantly around the throne, awaiting for their orders, carrying the messages of God. Psalm 103 verse 20. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Angels are the guardians of the weak. And the angels protect us. Psalm 91 verse 10 is a well-known passage of scripture talking about how we are in God's protection. It says, No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. The psalmist is speaking about the dangers of this world and the fear that we encounter in life. But there is nothing for us to fear. Dare I say, not even COVID. In Psalm 91, verse 3 to 6, 
Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Why should we not fear? Well, because we are surrounded by God's messengers. Angels protect us. Angels rescue us when we are in danger. I think this might happen even though we are unaware of it. I wonder how many times would we have been involved in dreadful situations and accidents and disasters had not God's holy angels been watching over us. Psalm 34 and verse 7 says the angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. Well, that's just some of the functions of the angels who are announcers or perhaps messengers would be a better way of putting it doing God's bidding for us. But let's be careful. We do need to keep all of this in perspective. So just in case we get the wrong idea here, let's look at some other important biblical teachings about angels. In case we think that angels are actually our personal servants, because they're not, the primary function of the angels is not to serve us, but to serve God. And of course, that means to serve Christ. Prior to Calvary, we're taught in the scriptures that he could have called the angels to completely destroy this earth and the Roman army, who in all their worldly might were puny before the forces of the angels. He could have called upon that great army of angels and been delivered by them, speaking to the mob who had come to arrest him in the garden. He said in Matthew 26 and verse 53, Do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? Now we've been learning that angels are tasked by God to guard over the weak, to protect the saints, to rescue us from danger, but they are God's to command, not ours. We cannot call upon the angels to do anything. Angels do God's bidding. And one day, it will be God's will for them to withdraw their protective cover from us and to stand lovingly by and to watch over us as we leave this world and go to be with our Heavenly Father. So should I pray to angels? There are people who do. A very simple internet search will reveal some of those prayers. One such Prayer says, Guardian angel, guard me from harm. Protect me in sleep without cause for alarm. Keep me safe through the darkness of night and wake me gently with God's morning light. Well, it's hard to believe that a Christian would ever pray to an angel. There would be no point, even if it was right to do so. But it's not. In the Bible, we are taught that when we pray, we are to address, to address our prayers to our Heavenly Father. We're not to pray to saints. We're not to pray to Mary. We're not to pray to our deceased loved ones. We're not to pray to angels. Biblical prayer is properly to be addressed to the Father in the name of the Son through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. 
That's the biblical pattern. And that underscores the Christian's relationship with God who purposed our redemption in eternity, who accomplished it in his Son, who applies it by his Holy Spirit in our regeneration. Nor should we worship or praise angels. Christ alone is our Saviour, and he alone is the object of our worship. Some people ask, can I see angels? Will I wake up one night and see an angel standing at my bedside? Realistically, of course, the answer is no. Angels are spiritual beings. They don't normally reveal themselves to us. Remember the words of Hebrews 1 and verse 14, that angels are ministering spirits. In the Bible, as we have seen, they did assume some kind of physical appearance from time to time, but only on rare occasions and only for special God-ordained purposes. For example, in Luke chapter 2, we're told there, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. So on that occasion, that special occasion, the shepherds saw angels. We shouldn't look to see them. But there will be a day when we shall see them with the Lord. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. We'll see them on the day the Lord returns. And yet Hebrews still warns us, Hebrews 13 and verse 2, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Back in the Old Testament, there's reference to the angel of the Lord. If you read Zechariah chapter 3, for example, in verse 1, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Now in this classic picture of the high priest, a man called Joshua at that time, Joshua is standing in intercession before someone described as the angel of the Lord, while Satan is standing ready to oppose him in his work of intercession. It's a picture of spiritual warfare. It's the warfare engaged in by all of us, by the priesthood of all believers. But who is the angel of the Lord? Who's Joshua praying to? Now, there are many conservative commentators and scholars who propose that when this phrase is used in the Old Testament, it's indicating a pre-incarnation appearance of the Logos the second person of the Trinity. We looked at this in our Catechism lesson on Lord's Day 13, question 33. We learned there that there was never a time when Jesus wasn't God's Son, that there will never be such a time. The Jews of Jesus' day were totally enraged when he made this astonishing claim in John 8 and verse 58. Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. They knew for sure that when he said that, when he claimed to be around even before the days of Abraham, he was claiming equality with God the Father in every respect. 
he was claiming to be God. And you can see this in John 5 and verse 18. Because of this, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. The Jews knew that only God was eternal, and Jesus taught that he was eternal from everlasting to everlasting. In his pre-incarnate life, he is the Logos, the second person of the Trinity, who is of the same essence as the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Word, says John, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was the messenger of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, to whom Joshua the high priest was praying. Of course, in heaven, when we meet again around the throne of God, we shall be in the company of the angels for all of eternity. In Revelation chapter 4 and 5, John gets an amazing glimpse into worship in heaven. And he describes it for us in chapter 5 and verse 11 to 12. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. Now before we finish, let's just think for a moment or two about the opposite of angels. Let's think about demons, fallen angels. In our last table talk on the paranormal, we learned that when people are consulting spiritualists and mediums, they are receiving messages from demons. Now, who are these demons? In Revelation 12 and verse 9, the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Those rebellious angels who were cast out of heaven at some time in the past are the messengers now of Satan. They do his bidding. They are struggling against God and against his church. They are the forces of evil in this world and we see their wicked influence all around us. They are the ones that Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 where he says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. These fallen angels know that their fate is already decided and sealed. Matthew 25 and 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay, so we've just learned a little bit about angels. It's only a tiny amount. I know one pastor, a friend of mine, who wrote an 85,000 word essay on this subject and still didn't cover it all. But if we have learned just a little, 
enough to clear up some common misconceptions. Well then we've achieved what we set out to do.